All right, everybody. On this episode, I have the great William Ramsey on the show. He's an author, a podcaster, a blogger. This dude has done it all. He does a lot of great work. He's got one of the top-rated podcasts out there with William Ramsey Investigates. And we're going to go on a little dive into some occult stuff. It's going to be fun. And, man, I am super, super excited about this one. I have invited Odd Man in to kind of help out a little bit because Odd Man has done a bit more of the occult research. He knows a lot more of that historical stuff than I do. I haven't really gone down too many of those rabbit holes. Hey, I've got kind of a sponsor now. Uh, it's called Bearded 518. It's just a couple brothers that make beard oils and lotions and all of that stuff you need to make your beards look amazing for the ladies and your wives and girlfriends, whatever it may be, boyfriends, whatever. We're inclusive on this podcast, so whoever you want to make your face hair pretty for, these guys can do it. Uh, you can enter promo code SCALLYWAG and get 15% off. Um, you have to message them through Instagram or Facebook because they are just a small-time operation. This is just two brothers making their own stuff, trying to break free of all the bullshit. A buddy of mine sent them to me. Uh, actually, I believe it was in NY Patriot that turned me on to them and I messaged them and they messaged me back pretty quick. They're going to send me out some sample stuff and they gave me a promo code. So, you know, we got to, we got to promote small business and as awkward as that little commercial was for me, because I've never really done it before. Uh, I'm going to try to do more of this stuff where I don't really need to make the money. I just want to promote small business. So message these guys again, it's bearded. 518 and you can find them on Instagram and Facebook and uh, make your face hair pretty and I will shut the fuck up now and let's get to the show but let's start with some tough love all right ready for this here goes in the councils of government we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. At some point, they engaged in genetic engineering and mixed their genes with the genes of uh, Homo erectus. Because these guys own our government. They spent our money and they own not only the government, but they own you. You are their property. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, I don't know. We have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. Welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight. I am, as usual, your not-so-humble host, Moral Bob. And with me today, I got Odd Man from the Odd Man Out podcast joining us. He's a fellow occult researcher. And then we've brought in the expert, 
the man, William Ramsey, who has William Ramsey Investigates, a YouTube channel and podcast, and he has written The Prophet of Evil and Children of the Beasts, both books about Crowley and uh, some other fun stuff like 9-11 and the Hollywood pedophile ring and all of that and how it's all kind of interconnected with everything. So welcome, William. Thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for the invite. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. You know, we love all these rabbit hole things. And, you know, I've I've coined a new term for all of us, you know, since people have loved to call us for a very long time conspiracy theorists. I just call us intellectual uh, explorers. I like that. I like yeah. that. I think, uh, how about outside the Overton window perceivers? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, we, we're the questioners, uh, well, the questioners of worse. the narrative. Right. Well, here it gets even worse. How does he over, who puts together the four dimensions of the Overton window? Right. Who chooses its size? Right. And what's acceptable to be in it? Exactly. You know, what's and then, what's up? And then, <clears throat> who gets to move it? Those are all very important questions that a lot of people inside the Overton window <laughs> don't know or aren't aware that they're in a window right. enough to ask that question. It's a, what's the old saying? Um, from the inside looking out, you can't understand it or explain it, but from the outside looking in, you can't understand it, something like that. I think, I think it works might, like that. It's the fishbowl yeah. effect, right? You're in the fishbowl, you're in uh, the Truman truman zone or something like that and right. uh, the outside controllers or people behind the curtain supposedly i think that was the old kind of uh metaphor you know the wizard which still exists to a certain extent sure yeah and, and now what's crazy is they've removed the curtain and nobody sees the wizard right they should yeah, they really should <laughs> he's right there well in my book you know the the uh 77 was one of Crowley's important terms, right? So it's it's integrated into 9-11, but it means like Lieber Oz. So it references, it, it goes to Oz. So but sometimes when you see that 77, it transmogrifies. Well, it actually is, it's like a corresponds to Oz, really. And so like uh, George W. Bush, that was his number. So you'd see him with 77 on his forehead, the number of his, of his uh, aircraft carrier, 77. So he's like the Wizard of Oz, pulling all that stuff off. He really, he's really an incredible, what he pulled off is really off the charts. It's really not comprehensible unless you have some kind of reading in the kind of uh, esotericism. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people caught in the binary paradigm that just don't, even if they're presented with this information, they're just like, oh, I'm sure there's a, a not conspiracy explanation for that. You're just being crazy. You know, they'll explain away anything that condemns right. their chosen masters. You know? Well, I mean, there's a lot of conditioning. Some of that conditioning takes place over generations and mm -hmm. through families. So to break that conditioning is, I mean, look at some of these people who are still in these churches or kind of cult things that go through families. There's, they're deep in multi-generational Scientologists. Some of these people in like the Catholic church do not even see the larger i mean a globe really it's a yeah i mean it's a global pedo organization <laughs> i mean there's no dude clearly all the facts indicate that so why are you still in this group like what's wrong with you you think you're they're fulfilling god's will doing this stuff i mean 
Yeah. So, I mean, those are just examples of how bad and how deep it can degrade. And it's kind of almost like you can look at people who are serfs or slaves, like this is just our, our lot in life. Like right. I'm a worker, I'm working class or I'm a slave and I don't think anything else. So, I mean, it's kind of sad, but some people just don't have that. Cause I think the internet really opened up people's or took the blinders off a lot of people, what they were getting from like the mass media, the corporate media or the Intel run media. Yeah. But, uh, there's, I mean, we're in a kind of new phase of th thought right now where you can actually compare and contrast all these things that you, some people would just stick you in a corner and call you a, uh, conspiracy theorists usually when people call me a conspiracy theorist i kind of feel like i won like that was kind of i know that they're right. lying like they don't want to go farther enough or far enough to actually look at my work on the merits or actually look at my research that's been i mean i've had people test pop prod and look through when i published profit of evil in 2010 i had somebody go through the entire book footnote by footnote to confirm it. He didn't believe that any, he thought that I was literally like writing that book out of like uh, in a rubber room with a straight jacket. And so he went through and checked all the footnotes and then he came back and said, I couldn't find, I couldn't find, I was one footnote. I think that was misplaced. So he kind of did an editorial thing for me, but he said, everything you read said was, was referenced. Yeah. No, you sure. couldn't, I mean, you couldn't maybe not pull that stuff off. If I, there's no way I could have pulled off, some of these books without access to the internet. Right. Maybe yeah. in a library. But it makes yeah. it so much easier to research, you know, and which, you know, I think has gone against this global occult. They didn't realize how, you know, yes, they're, they can program people easier because they're infecting every aspect of everyone's lives from, you know, as young as seven, you know, just constant manipulation of data and everything. Full spectrum dominance. Yeah. yeah. And, but at the same time, they can't control it completely, which I think they're they're trying really hard to do right now. They are they're realizing that the power that it has and they are trying really hard to shut everything down. And everything. then yeah, you can see that with depersoning and kicking people off of platforms. Yep. I mean, and, they really are trying to and that's far part of the intimidation and also self-censorship. So they're trying right. to get you take out one, you get nine other people to self-censor. Yep. Uh, you're very effective. And I think, I think that they're knowingly doing that for sure. So, Oh yeah. I know so many people that say, <clears throat> Oh, you know, I can't, I can't post this online. I'll get banned. You know, mm -hmm. so people just stifle their own speech. Not me. It's a shame. I just put it out there. If you want to ban me, I'll just create another site. Like I'll just, right. well, that's, I'll just I, keep that popping back up. I, it takes five seconds to create a new email address. And then I just create another page and I just keep going. Like you can't here's the thing. Here, here's what's really important to recognize is that the content creators have all the power. They don't realize it, but it's not these websites. It's the people on there. So yep. it's kind of like the Led Zeppelin. I call it the Led Zeppelin principle. They were the first pan to realize that the stadiums didn't matter. It was them that sold the tickets. And that's yep. the same thing for the content creators. The people follow you. So get off. I deleted my Facebook page and I deleted my Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. I don't miss it at all. I just, and when, when I hear people are on like Facebook, I'm like, what? You're like, uh, you're still on Facebook? Like, I don't want to get into it, but I, yeah. I'm still using YouTube. So I can't say I'm, a, I'm use Gmail. So I'm not 100% <laughs> well, pure, but I'm trying to get to that point of getting rid of big tech i'm i'm working towards it but i'm working the other way i'm making them ban me <laughs> Good like, <night>. <laughs> well they're they're making a huge mistake 
because their long-term effects of their actions are going to be very deleterious for them, I think, because another generation is just going to be like, I'm not getting on. Facebook won't really exist anyway in about 30 well, years. Well, you know, they did Facebook change now. I know, it's, Meta it's, or it's whatever. Called They're Meta. trying to rebrand. Like, them. that's not just clearly openly mocking people. Like, metadata. Yeah. Like, come on. Oh, like, how yeah, much no. more obvious do they need to make this stuff? I don't know. I would, I'd be very, I mean, I think Zuckerberg is very sinister. He put $400 billion into this election to get freaking Cornholio elected. And those were all fraud boxes. So you could just, you know, they knew that they needed a certain amount of votes and they could just pump those votes in those, those boxes. <laughs> it's so obvious. Like the legal system, like I said, I mean, See, that's I, a whole nother issue. I mean, I, I mean, nobody, yeah. nobody's looking into it. Like well, the, the citizens are looking into it. But right. I was obviously stolen. This is a totally fake president. It's well, really the first time in our history. So here's the thing. <clears throat> All presidents are fake. All well, elections are stolen and none of the presidents are legitimate. I don't I don't think voting matters. It's all a show. I even think this this past election, the only reason they did this was to keep keep the people in their camps. It's just to create radicals that are like, ah, Trump won. No, Biden got 81 million votes. He's the most popular president ever. You know, like it's it's just to continue to create radicals. The people that don't give any credit to the voting system is like, yeah, uh, we knew this was all a fraud a long time I would, ago. I would generally agree with you. I think probably at the foundation of this country, those were all proper elections, probably till the Civil War. And then they got more and more corrupt as time went by. Oh, like the sure. Kennedy election was corrupt. Mm-hmm. They pumped the votes into Chicago, I think, in West Virginia. And, I mean, we can get into Johnson and all these other characters, Bushes, but they've been. Well, the I mean, Clintons. just look but, what uh, they did to Ron Paul. Oh, yeah. Look what they did to Bernie. In fact, they, yeah. they screwed well, Bernie. I, I mean, I don't care about Bernie, but yeah. I'm just saying. I, I, know, I know what happened. <laughs> I know what happened. I get what happened. Right. Yeah. No. They, and and Bernie's still, you know, at their feet, begging them for crumbs. You know, which is just hilarious. They they stole two nominations from him, and he's still just like, "Can I have a cookie, sir?" <laughs> anyway, let's let's get into the topic tonight, man, and and let's start with. Maybe uh, some background, because some people may not even know who Crowley is. So who is Aleister Crowley? Well, he was born in 1875, died in 1947. He came from a wealthy family. Uh, he, When his parents died, his inheritance, at least guesstimated maybe 20 years ago, was worth 20 million American dollars. So he came from money. He went to the best schools. He was brought up in an exclusive brethren household which was a subset of the Plymouth Brethren, which was founded by John Nelson Darby, who was kind of uh, famous for making dispensationalism. So they were very, uh, he remembers it, at least he retells it as a very religious household. His dad was actually a pamphleteer who would take uh, Christian pamphlets around, which was unusual because the the family made money from beer and kind of selling sandwiches at pubs all throughout uh, uh, England. His dad died when he was 12. He was left in the care of his mom and his uncle. And he said that his uncle was kind of a tyrant. And he went to privileged schools. They call them public schools in England. They're really kind of private schools for Americans. And there he went through the system kind of like Pink Floyd's The Wall, like abusive teachers, fighting, uh, you know, bullying and all this stuff. And he actually almost died at one of these uh, uh, exclusive brethren school in Cambridge. 
So he got out of that, went to private tutors. I think he went to other schools, Malvern, Tombridge, which are well-known in the UK, and passed the interest exam into Cambridge and got into Cambridge. And really, while he was in Cambridge, he switched from kind of the Christian religion to occultism. He really became something of the occult and started writing a lot. And I mean, his, 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 that's really where it started. So he got out. He actually left Cambridge without getting a degree. He said it was below him to get a degree. So he had a, kind of a snobby attitude, started writing poetry. Really what he said at the time were his three things that he was white hot interested in was poetry, mountain climbing, and the occult. So he, he had the money and time. He was definitely part of a class system and he was in the upper class. So he never worked his whole life, really. He never had a real job nine to five job like somebody else did probably his nine to five job was occultism and working as an, an intel agent for the uk government formerly it was this secret intelligence service which became mf5 and mi6 so he's swept but his occult career kind of uh came through groups at that time at the turn of the century uh one was called the golden dawn which was an aggregator of kind of wisdom of the West and the East, really in a magical fraternity. And he was in there with other well-known figures. So he absorbed all that information and uh, kind of borrowed stuff from them, from people who were in that, then took all that stuff, had a lawsuit, came out, then really had a really, what he called his most important event, which was when he was in England with his wife, um, Kelly. He said, she said she was kind of like uh, a receiving uh, and for some message that said they're waiting for you. So he set up a temple in Cairo, and over the next three days, uh, some being or entity he called Awas dictated to him the Book of the Law. And that became kind of his foundational document. It's supposed to be like a, a received, a doc, received document. It's written in three parts, uh, divided by three gods of the e Egyptian pantheon. And really, Horus was really the most kind of vicious one where he made these declarations about... Uh, those of us who are in the number 11, I can't remember verbatim offhand, but then like I'm going to rip the head, like pick the eyes out of, peck the eyes out of Jesus and uh, spit on your crapulous creeds. So it was really very satanic, very adversarial. And that was really the head. So then 1904, he keeps writing, traveling. He goes to um, uh, Nepal and, tr and tries to ascend two tall uh Mountains there, one is Chogori and the other is Kanchenjunga. And those are huge things. He gets kicked off the last one for being Crowley. So he let like three people die in an avalanche. He didn't get up to help them. And so that kind of ended his mountaineering career, ruined his reputation. And uh, writing all the time, like I would say he was a, really a literateur, maybe in the mold of some other people to this day who are constantly writing. So he was constantly putting out literature, poetry. So he had tons of poetry books. His first one was uh, White Stains, a really full kind of, for that time, pretty edgy kind of material. So he's writing them under pseudonyms to kind of make sure it was harder for people to ascertain who the author was in publishing them in small publishing houses. 1904, he ends up, he's 1910, he goes to Algeria. So he's constantly traveling. Um, his ideal person was Richard Burton, who was kind of a 19th century explorer, writer, ethnographer. And Burton kind of, he was one of the early people who went on the Hajj, uh, which is the mandatory pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina. Um, so Burton was a Christian who went, or well, he was from, uh, he was a Westerner who went on that in disguise. He also found the 
it was the mountains of the moon, I think was the movie, but it was found, he was, they were trying to find the foundation of the Nile River in Lake Victoria. So he was all over the place. So that was kind of model for Crowley is this adventure, some adventure, someness, but also in the context of magic. So he's constantly, it's very strange because he's constantly moving, but he's constantly uh, having these magical workings in different places or, or these magical events. So he basically comes to the United States on the Lusitania, um, I think in 1914, and works uh, for British intelligence undermining the German influence in the U.S. Once the U.S. gets into war, he, he writes in his autobiography, which he calls auto-hagiography, which is kind of like the biography of the saints. So he's constantly kind of making these dark jokes. But he writes in there, my work was done. So he comes back to England and then gets kicked out. He, there, there was always these kind of, there's a, a legacy, not a legacy, but a repository of journalism writing about him. They're calling him all kinds of names and uh, a disgrace. So he leaves there. He's going to France often. And he ends up in um, Italy. So he's in Italy at the time. He's actually records Mussolini's march on Rome with the black shirts. So he's there for three days in Rome following the, the fascists there. And that event was what inspired Hitler to do his push also in 24. So it's kind of like a weird interest in Crowley. And uh, Crowley's life and Hitler are a little curious. There's curious overlaps. Crowley goes to a place he calls the Abbey. He creates the Abbey of Philema, which is a magical fraternity in Sicily and Cefalu. And the remnants are still around today. It's still kind of a pilgrimage site for OTO or Crowley loving oddballs. He gets kicked out literally by Mussolini after one kid dies. His name uh was Raul Loveday, and there's a lot of mystery about them. Really, Raul was actually very sick. He had jumped off a building in England and landed on a wrought iron fence. So he had already punctured like his intestines and survived and then came not, not exactly in the greatest of shape and probably got enteritis. Like a lot of people got sick in Sicily at that time uh, just due to bad conditions. So that gets closed down. He goes back to France. He hangs out in France for a while, gets kicked out of France in 1928. And he's constantly going. That's the whole curious thing about Crowley is that he's moving interjurisdictionally. So he's moving in between different countries. He goes back to the UK, gets sent, some either sent or somehow goes to Weimar, Germany, and is in Germany for three years at the same time Hitler comes to power. Like very strange. So then Hitler comes to power, I think, 33. Crowley's out of there, 34 gets up back to Hastings and eventually kind of settles, goes to London and ends up and settles in kind of a nicer boarding house, a shared housing in Hastings, which is the very South part of uh, London and dies there in 1947. That's kind of like the, the overarching view of Crowley, like where he was, but you have to remember during this time, he's constantly moving within the higher echelons or the higher classes and meeting people. And so I tried to really, key into those observations of people who had met Crowley and what they thought about him, whether it was Hemingway or JFC Fuller or some of these kind of well-known people and some, not some not well-known, but they all kind of, uh, Somerset mom was one who actually wrote a book called the magician that was based on Crowley. Crowley admitted it. So I tried to kind of focus in on that, but he, I mean, you have to kind of see he was writing books all the time. And he actually, I don't think that anybody, even his biographers, other biographers, and there's other ones out there other than me, but they haven't really collected the corpus of all of his journalistic writings, like all the stuff that he had written for papers and for Vanity Fair in the United States. 
So he was constantly writing. I mean, he said he was addicted to reading and writing, which I think is true. And he was really a master of the English language and uh, smart, very smart person. But, you know, it gets darker with all of this stuff that he was involved in. He had these scarlet women. He found that these women were good, magical uh, uh, partners. So he called them scarlet woman. He was the beast. So he absorbed all of this terminology from revelation right the book of revelation so he was known to, he called himself to megatherion in latin or the great beast 666 and so these women were the scarlet women because in the revelation there's the the woman rides the beast right if you remember that part so i mean and that's very important to understand because some of these movies after crowley actually have his ritual the woman rides the beast and we can talk about Johnny Depp at some later, but <clears throat> um, <laughs> so, so they had these scarlet women and each one of the scarlet women was branded on their chest. Like literally like you would brand a cow with Crowley's mark of the beast, which was a moon and kind of a, what is a planetary symbols. And you can just type in Crowley's mark of the beast. So they all got, they all got uh, literally branded and then he would kind of like use them as energy centers and then move on to the next one. So I think in his lifetime, he had like 10 or 12 scarlet women. And then he would just discard them because they weren't worth anything in, uh, for the great work. Like he, he uh, one of them, he abandoned to in France and she became a prostitute. Like he, he was, his treatment of other people was terrible, really. I mean, even his own kids and stuff and his ex-wives, some one of his children died. I think he said of one of his other girls, oh, yeah, she'll make a great whore. Like, what a nice dad, you know. So that, I mean, yeah, so you can just get into different layers of Crowley, political Crowley, intelligence Crowley, occult Crowley. But I think really what he did and set him apart from other occultists and why that he's still an important figure is that he was smart, well-educated, and spent all his time developing this corpus that other people can use as, as a baseline or springboard for their occult work. So they almost all go through Crowley. There's been other occultists, Blavatsky, um, some of these women who I can't name off, offhand. And he had competitors too, but he seems to have outlasted lasted them all with all of his kind of workings and examples and his venturism and the drugs and sex, a lot of drugs and sex, which he included into his ritual practices. That was one of the things that he kind of advanced was, and it's really not that much of an advance because you can go back to ancient Greek and probably the old Bible where even the old Bible, they think that in some of the old temple, like temple rituals, they were using marijuana in uh, the pagan rituals. And even in definitely drugs were involved in temple practices in Greece. So he kind of re oriented that into his kind of view and then the sex magic became another part and so i think that that was what was attractive to next generation after he died in 1947 and i mean he really was kind of a non-political figure more of a cultural figure he said after hitler was i am which is a play off of what christ said mm-hmm. in the temple in front of the in front of the sanhedrin and i write in my book you can kind of see hitler is almost somewhat similar in the sense the the triumph of the strong over the weak these are all it's weird how darwinism and this is a whole other topic how similar darwinist ideas or ideology is similar to satanic ideology you can actually kind of transpose them and they're almost a carbon copy because and that's a whole other reason is why darwin came up and just met 
these uh, satanic ideas. Strong over the weak, kill off the weak. Uh, you know, these things Crowley really did, triumph of the will. So even Crowley's religion was the Lima. He called it the Lima. It was, that's a Greek word for will. And if you take it through his gematria, that if you calculate that, then the value of the letters, they add up to 93. So Thelema and Agape are uh, will and love add up to 93. And then there's Hitler's like triumph of the will. And so he thought he could do everything through the power of the will, like Crowley. So you see that same kind of theme. It's a transposed against the Christian or maybe Judeo in a larger sense, Judeo tradition, but even in the, uh, the Lord's prayer, you know, do what thou, uh, Crowley's is do what thou wilt. So individual will, and then it's God, you know, your uh, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? So God's will. So you see that oppositional element within through the all occult and maybe in the Western religious tradition. But do you, I mean, there's overlaps between Crowley and, and Hitler that are really apparent and obvious. And it's weird how they overcome. And there's actually kind of connections between occultists, uh, this guy Ewers who Crowley knew, it was within the Nazi environment, and there's kind of this cross-fertilization between him. J.F.C. Fuller, who was Crowley's follower, was one of two Englishmen to attend Hitler's 50th birthday, I think in 39. And he was a big-time right-wing fascist. He had actually, I think they put him in jail in World War II for fascist sympathies. Like, he was one of those Englishmen who would have sold his country out to the Nazis. So it gets to a kind of broad, you, in a larger cultural and uh, historical element, Crowley is definitely around and, and making remarks about that. But I, like I said, I, that's why I think that he attained a kind of immortality just because of his intelligence and, and the corpus of his work was original. And so that's why people go through. I mean, I've talked about the ONA. I wrote about the um, Order of Nine Angles. And you, there was a moment, there clearly referencing Crowley and and using him as something as kind of a comparison of what they want so they're looking at it go how can I improve on this how can I change this and sure. so you see yeah. that a lot in a lot of like modern the modern esoteric tradition yeah. why not go with something with a with a good foundation like that um I've heard that Timothy Leary um was into Crowley's sex magic stuff and he did a lot of experimentation with LSD and some of that stuff. Right. So he actually thought he would there's a famous statement and you can see it in my uh, documentary Children of the Beast which is on Vimeo where he says I'm carrying on Crowley's tradition. I was wish he was here to to see what his ideas have wrought. He basically I don't remember the verbatim off of that but he he said that I said that Crowley was in Algeria. Leary was in Algeria with another follower, another drug trafficker at Busada, which is where uh, Crowley was with a guy by the name of Victor Newberg. And so he, um, there's a really good biography. I think it's by Higgs, who I've actually had on my show on William Ramsey investigates about his book on Blake, William Blake, which is another really fascinating character. But Higgs wrote a, a biography about Leary. And I use that a lot for my section in Children of the Beast about Leary, where Leary, you know, says that, you know, it's in this unmistakable that there's a synchronicity between my life and Crowley's. And he had Crowley's I Ching. So the I Ching are these occult st uh, reading sticks kind of uh, that come from, I think, China. And so Crowley had those sticks and actually Leary had Crowley's sticks and they lost them. And he had Crowley's tarot cards. Wow. So he was clearly, yeah, he was clearly very much aware. And it's very important because he was all Leary was also a member, a known member of the Illuminates of Thanateros, which is kind of post-Crowley chaos magic. 
And there's also a section of my book where he's hanging out. I think he'd be, I think the process church of the final judgment admitted that Leary was either at a meeting or became a short-term member of that group, which is also another Crowley offshoot because Crowley to Scientology to the process church. There's a clear ideological kind of uh, genealogical tree straight to the process church. Wow. That's, there's so much to chew on there. Um, so many different directions that we could go. Um, odd man, you got, uh, you got any questions, man? I'm just, I'm just trying to soak this all in. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. It is, man. I would just, there's a couple things I was kind of curious about, you know, cause you hear a lot of rumors about Crowley and it's kind of hard to tell myth from the real deal, but you know, I'd heard or read that he had went through Freemasonry really quickly before he went into the, uh, I guess the OTO or the, uh, the Lima. No, that's true. Is that true? Right. He, he has a, a OT. I think it was either the Memphis or Miserarium, right? But there, you can look online that the, the uh, Masonic leader's name was John Yarker, Y-A-R-K-E-R, who's a well-known kind of Masonic guy. And so Crowley got his, I mean, there's a signed certificate of him passing through the uh, grades or something like that. But I, I don't remember what grade. I thought it was Memphis and Mizraim, which is post-Masonic in that the, um, what is it? The, uh, one of those groups is, a, this groups are post-Masonic. So you're supposed to come through Masonry and then join the OTO. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the whole idea. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that was true or not. You know, you hear those rumors. Oh, it's true. And he said that he made up this story. Well, he is very kind of a tall teller, tale, uh, you know, told tall tales. And some people have even speculated that his whole story about receiving the book of the law may have just been complete fabrication of a talented writer who wanted to create something that would establishment at the apex of the occult world. Right. So it's very fortunate for him. If you want to attain the highest level for having some entity you call Satan later to dictate to you the book of the law. So that's open for speculation. But when he, one of his early trips, he went to go uh, send a mountain in Mexico. And he said he met a 33 degree, like Latino guy who bestowed upon him the 33rd degree, which nobody has really ever verified. Oh, wow. So it was very fortunate for him. So, uh, yeah, very yeah. Kim Jong-il or <laughs> Kim Jong-un. Is that the one that, He's like said that they recently landed on the sun and like right. he's well i mean that's he wrote his own he Crowley wrote his own myth he said he was born with the the frenem lingue on his mouth which is like some kind of sign on the east that you're sacred and that he had a swastika on his chest that he was born with a swastika on his chest and you can read that in his book so he's making up these kind of myths right. I mean, he may not be make i would say that he was a very astute person who understood the power of myths in creating uh kind of a you know good legacy about your character i mean maybe some people do it to themselves in smaller ways but he was uh, much more forward about it like really deliberately creating and how much of that is fake and not is known the whole thing about the book of the laws odd because he this entity was uh awas but he's always praying to awas he always sees awas in the rocks and he prays to awas for knowledge so it's kind of you know it's kind of curious like how much of this stuff he's really asked he said he had all kinds of psychic abilities he was able to astrally travel he would 
do these workings where he'd receive knowledge. And one of the more curious things about Crowley that really can't be explained but ties into kind of modern ufology is that when he did the Malamantra working, he said he talked to some entity he called Lamb, which is an honorific. It's like similar to Lama in uh, Tibet. But he drew it, and it looks exactly like a gray alien, and it's in his equinox. It's in his encyclopedia. So it's like, how did somebody back then predict or lay the foundation to the modern UFO phenomena, the gray alien phenomena that's been picked up or or promoted by like Whitley Strieber uh, and all these other characters? It's really something else. Well, maybe that's where it came from, you know, originally, is it? You know, somebody saw that and then right. kind of just played off of that. Now, I, I I am the kind of person that believes that astral projection and all of this stuff is possible, you know, that things can be fed through you. I mean, I, I haven't written much, but I have written enough to know that sometimes stuff just flows out of you. And it's almost like it's you're just the vessel for the words. So I... I know enough to know that. And, and then as far as mind speak and all of that stuff, you know, I, I think this stuff can happen now, whether Crowley um, just said that so he could, I mean, he obviously knew about energy. So if he was doing that just to get energy, I mean, it works either way, you know, whether yeah, it's he made was, up he or was not. Right. He was definitely trying to get energy. He said after some of his workings, he could stay up for two days writing or something. And some of these things would literally flow out. He was very close to an automatic writer, if not a flat out automatic writer, because he said he never really went back. He wasn't that type of writer that reread anything and changed anything. So you almost see no editing on his writing or his works. There's some here and there or errata and things like that, but you almost never see like, I definitely look over my own writing and go, I could do better here, rewrite this. But I don't know if Crowley really ever did that. <laughs> I mean, sometimes <laughs> it flows out of you to the point where you, you have to go back because you think you're making sense when you're writing it down. And then you look back and you're like, wait, none Doesn't of that made any that. sense at all. I've got to reword right. this. Right. Um, so let me let me touch on on something you said before about the number 93. And that'll kind of give us our, our pivot point. Um, you said 93 was an important number and there are of Crowley's and there are some numbers tie that tie that to nine 11. And that's what I'm really interested in is his ties to nine 11 because it was flight 93. That was one of the flights in nine 11. And if you take the two flights that hit the towers and add them together and divide them by two, you get 93. Right. Well, what was it? Uh, 175 or something? I don't know. It's like the two. Yeah. The the two planes that hit the towers are like flight right. one. Something, 175 and 11. And, yeah. And 111. And then there was uh, 77, 1193, right? Yeah. They're all, they're all tied to Crowley. That was really the point of my first book, Prophet of Evil, which I wrote in 2010. There was another book that came over after that that... Uh, Pretty interesting. I mean, we can talk about that, but my book really, that's why I had to have a proper biography of Crowley that wasn't written. And that's a, a significant part of that book that wasn't written by a Crowley devotee, right? I am not a Christian. I, I am a Christian. I believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So I'm writing it from that kind of moral perspective. 
whereas some of these other people are writing it from Crowley being a great liberator of humanity. But that's why I had to lay the background for people to understand 9-11. So you went through these steps of Crowley, the Book of the Law, where the 11s are there, where in um, the Golden Dawn, one of the founders is writing about numbers and their power, and 11 is a number of desolation and death, right? So I clue that in Prophet of Evil. And also the whole thing about 77, which is Libra's, which corresponds to 77 and the 77 names of Satan, which are in the Satanic Bible by Andrew, Sandor LeVay. So you see that number is very important in other parts of the occult. And then 93, like I said, is part of Gematria. And even Crowley kind of, and some of his friends shorthand, they're like things. It's a shorthand for love under will, love under law, right? So will, law, and they just write 93, 93. So you see Jimmy Page write like that, Crowley write like that. So those were very important numbers to understand in Crowley even before 9-11. So it's an important part of Philema. And then you come to 9-11 and you have two esoterically designed buildings, which are an 11 in the skyline. And the first plant that it happens on September 11th, 2001, the first plane to hit the tower is an 11. And then the 175, which is a, a ritual Crowley wrote about which God do you adore? And it's a common adoration of like the devil is very kind of a common parlance usage of that term adore in the occult you can hear it in like thin lazy songs and things like that like uh, you have to adore me um but uh then you know you have 93 and 77 hit the pentagon so you can see that the ritualization of the event the occultization and the way that those things are put together almost like somebody would be doing a ritual in a tomb or something where they're putting things together, artifacts and doing like Crowley's rituals involve ornate sets, bells, candles, blood, you know, you do the step by step by step by step, right? And so you can see that in the event of 9-11, I think, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I, there's, uh, I had a, a guy named David Weiss on recently, and we talked about 9-11 and all the symbolism that's in that happened there. And he did super deep dives on 9-11 that I haven't done because you don't have to look very far to realize it's all the narrative is BS. Right. Um, Dave Weiss, the uh, flat earther. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah. From deep in the rabbit hole podcast originally in his first, he, he dove deep into 9-11 and that's what I had him on for the last episode was 9-11. Um, and you know, their, their symbolism is everywhere in 9-11. And it goes back. I mean, they so they were telling us about 9-11 well before 9-11 happened. So right, no um, it, it, how do you think Crowley is, other than just numerology, do you think he was tied into like the origins of it? Like the, no. the beginning of it? Because I know Maybe. there was there was like comic books and certain things that were keying towards 9-11 in the mid-century. Right. Well, there were there were hints of it. I mean, clearly that's an important date probably to occultists because it's a kind of a time meridian on a new millennium. So I would say that that would be a significant point. But I would say that it probably I mean, the ideas might have been around. I've seen no evidence of anything, but definitely there's tons of foreshadowing in films. And I mean, even even George Bush foreshadowed it when he gave his famous speech 
on September 11, 1990, right? 11 years to the date. So he's, I think, foreshadowing that very clearly something's going to happen. Um, so whether that goes back, there's nothing in Crowley that I've read. I've, I've, I mean, I've read a lot of Crowley. I haven't read all this stuff, but I've read most of his major works and there really isn't anything in there that foreshadows 9-11-2001. So you think but there's it was tons like... of stuff. Yeah, there's tons. I mean, look at, if you look at uh, Kubrick and mm-hmm. uh, Arthur C. <laughs> Clarke's 2001, that foreshadows it. So that's one. Uh, you can put in Fight Club, uh, a lot, a lot of the major media movies and stuff like that. It's it's there. You so you think these the are just on. like uh, Crowley followers that that are just kind of putting his his little signature on everything? Well, I think that he's probably seeded his ideas, which was his intent, as kind of like a priest to the princes. He seeded his ideas through the elite. Uh, global, at least, um, at least in the states, in my opinion, and probably the UK and certain parts of Europe. Um, and so, his ideas and his way of looking at things as slaves shall serve. He believed in the, uh, the best system was feudalism, right? Yeah. So I think that that was kind of his outlook. So you see that ideology, and you can see it in my book if you read Prophet of Evil. Uh, and watch out for other books who talk about 9-11 because they will take the real truth about, in my opinion, take the truth of Crowley out. I mean, there's people. Uh, promoting other books that uh, really are mind raping people. I won't mention their names, but uh, it's a, it's a, it's a freaking disgrace for people to mention some of these other books. I, I wrote the original stuff in 2010. That's all, that's all can be verified with uh, pinpoint accuracy. So you got to watch out for some of the stuff that's coming after. And you got to wonder why they're twisting uh, things and omitting things like Orwell said, a mission is the greatest form of life. So you got to really be careful. But uh, as far as Crowley's impact, you know, there's secret libraries. Occultists have libraries. A lot of people want to stay in power if you're an elite. So being a Crowleyite or being influenced by Crowley is not that far of a stretch. Um, so I, I, whether like they are over, I mean, you can, yeah, I mean, you can talk about, I mean, you can talk about the Bush family, Skull and Bones, secret libraries, ritual magic initiation all that stuff it all kind of you can see that continuum goes all the way through yeah and with the the sex magic stuff that that ties in you know the elite pedophile ring so it's 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 all this this overlapping now whether they're all you know created for from the same thing they definitely have like this um this venn diagram where they all intersect together I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And I, you can talk about, I think, uh, what's that witch's name? It's uh, Abramovich. She knows about Crowley. So she does certain things with Crowley that are similar to other rituals that are common in the in the continuum of occult practices, whether it's in the, the more recent modern history or stuff that used to come back out of, out of old myths and old kind of historical knowledge from the Druids or ancient Greece. So um and just like Crowley's borrowing and taking all that stuff and putting it together. And like he influenced uh, Wicca. So he's influencing Gardnerian Wicca and uh, very much. So he was writing to Gardner. They met and I proved that in the children of the beast. He actually gave Gardner his OTO kind of title. And uh, you can see Crowley's Crowley's signature on that. So you can see that 
they're bringing stuff in and also pushing forward through to the present, whether it's through Gardner, Kenneth Anger, or, uh, you know, Leary, Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. So uh, Parsons. So you don't know, I don't know how his ideas got seeded into 9-11, but they're there. Right, right. Regardless, they're there. And and his, I mean, for lack of a better term, his followers are, are everywhere. I mean, he's been this very influential guy for these these occultists. Like he's he's a really big key figure. And I, do you think it's because he just did so much writing? Yeah, I think so. I think it was what he expanded upon that gave people their their ideas of liberation, which is like his idea was freedom, right? So his idea was freedom from all strictures or reservations. So I think that was his uh, his philosophical outlook. So somebody in hard rock or you know in certain environments that or being uh, an elitist with tons of money, that's an attractive kind of uh, thing. Do what thou wilt should be the whole law, right? Eleven letters, eleven syllables. So you see that eleven theme in Crowley. Um, and so I think that that's really was his thing, sex, um, drugs, do what thou wilt, freedom. So for people who may have come like Crowley from a very rigid background, that next step into freedom for some of these people who may have grown up in uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that, this is the opposite swing of the pendulum is into right. Crowleyism. Well, and it's freedom. It's freedom for the elites, not for everybody. Because he was a feudalist. No, right. Well, so, no doubt. And I mean, you yeah. can get into kind of a Christian perspective. They probably are totally slaves to sin. Like Crowley was a slave to heroin and probably doing his things. I don't think he could ever repent. So he was really locked into that worldview all the way till his death in 47. Yeah. It's, uh, I, you know, I, I like to investigate these, these occultists because I, I just don't understand the mentality of it, right? Like, like what makes, what makes someone this way? And it seems like they're all, you know, well-to-do people. Like, like Oddman and I were talking about before you came in. Like, all of these people came from money, you know, whether it's Leary or Crowley or you know, Marx. You know, they all came from from high-end families. They, it maybe this is it. You know, the old saying, uh, the idle hands are the devil's play playthings. So it's these rich people that don't have to have jobs or anything. And then, you know, they get corrupted because they're not busy doing something else. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what uh, what led Crowley. He didn't even know. He self-admitted. I just don't know. I just went that route. But I think that, you know, the presumption of occultism is to get power, right? So if you want power... And you want to be above, you know, certain rules and societal rules, that's your place. Um, so uh, as far as like the moneyed ones, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like Christ said, if you follow me, give away all of your, uh, everything you own and follow me. And there's some of those people like, no, I'm not giving up anything to follow you. <laughs> so having all that money almost is kind of a religion in itself, the religion of the wealthy, the religion of the elite. I mean, imagine what it's like growing up as a Rockefeller, right? David Rockefeller and Nelson Rockefeller are heavily involved in creating the, the Twin Towers. They used to be kind of colloquially 
nicknamed Nelson and David after Nelson and David Rockefeller. Incidentally, Nelson almost became president. Uh, this is a much forgotten thing, but uh, Squeaky Fromm of the Manson factory supposedly took a shot at Gerald Ford, missed him by like two inches. And if he died, um, Nelson would have been president. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Go look at that story. That's almost never talked about. No. Uh, but that's another weird uh, connection to Manson, who's influenced by the process. Definitely, he's actually, Manson said, Robert de Grimston and I are one, which is like wow. very telling. And so <laughs> you can see all the family ideas, mind control, Scientology in the Manson family. That's like the great mystery. That's really the great mystery of Manson that they never quite figured out because they never got into the Scientology of it when looking at him. They knew that he was a Scientologist, but they never got the how he, the calculation or the the kind of math, the equation that he put those people into his total control, this woman, even after he got arrested. So I think that that was really one of the power, the mysteries of, of Manson and still is kind of his, why he's still, they're curious about him. But uh, yeah, my part of the Manson family would have had a huge impact upon this country if Gerald Ford got shot in the head. Wow. Yeah, go look it up. You can probably just look it up on Florida, well, Wikipedia that, right now. That makes me wonder if, if Manson was maybe part of the MK Ultra program. Well, yeah, you got to read that book by Tom O'Neill. I've inter interviewed Tom O'Neill about that book um about manson and his his tie-ins to mk ultra and jolly and west and all these characters like there were times there's known times that he should have been arrested for stealing cars where he did not go to jail so something was going on and there was all kinds of weird it was operation chaos is the name of the book right and actually it ties into another interview i did an excellent book which i could not recommend more which is called the revolution's end uh, by Brad Schreiber. You got to interview this guy. If you can get him on the show, it's probably one of the greatest MK Ultra, PSYOP, uh, mind control, government operation book you could read. It's really great. I love that book. I got to call Brad. But I love reading that book. I still remember it because it took apart the whole story of the Symbionese Liberation Army as an actual, you know, man-made, uh, independent well, operation. It was just a part of this Operation Chaos, which was run supposedly by James Jesus Angleton out of the CIA. And there were different little subparts, just like MKUltra. So you've got, I mean, you have to think of like a puppeteer to understand this. You've got him puppeteering it around the same time. Well, I think it was 72 was the Symbionese Liberation Army. And so, and Manson was 69. But you got somebody puppeteering these characters out of jails in California that had massive cultural impacts. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, that book is great. Revolution's End by Pratt Schreiber. Revolution's End. Yeah, I'm yeah, writing that so you could down. Get, yeah, no. Yeah, he's a really good uh, interview too. But yeah, this is a great book. Honestly, everybody should read that book. It's because... <laughs> It's, it's what's happening now. It's the same thing that happened at this November, January 6th thing where you've got government agents creating cultural events. You got to get inside the freaking um, Capitol, get in the Capitol. Well, and the dude, I mean, it's a, yeah, the horned guy, eppers or eps, yeah. The horned guy got on the Senate floor and said some magical ritual. Yeah. Like, yeah he, he was a chaos magic magician. That yeah. dude, the. Uh, no, like, it was some weird shit. Some stuff happened in that too, because there was this Nazi girl who stole. I don't think they found her yet, but she stole Pelosi's laptop. 
Oh, so there's still like a Nazi. Yeah, I think so. I think there was a Nazi girl, a chaos magician, and on and feds just. It, I think that I think that the feds really instigated that capital. And surprisingly, I mean, people say it was violent and terrifying, but considering how many people were in there, there wasn't that much property lost. There was definitely trespassing, but uh, yeah, I think that the left made a lot more for their own political benefit made a lot more out of it. Oh, of course. That January 6th <laughs> thing was nothing more than a guided tour and a couple rabble-rousers. Like, yeah. it wasn't It wasn't this thing that was this deadly event. The only person that died was some unarmed woman that got shot by a capital cop. Right. Like, like, there wasn't any violence. That nobody was armed, you know, except for the Capitol Police. They made more out of it. I mean, it's really, a, it should be like a real warning call because they're looking for any excuse to put you into jail yep. for a long yep. period of time and throw away the key. Because those, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of different ways they could have handled that. But putting these people in jail, they're giving them the Assange treatment where part of the torture and punishment is to just delay the trial and and keep you in limbo so it's it's yep. a disgrace it's a disgrace yeah. and, you know it's... i don't think I, I don't think what they did was right either though they shouldn't have gone in the capitol but well, I, the you doors know, you were open be... for them well i they agree with that but you have doors. to have right you have to have proportionality to the crime and so trespassing is what they should have got what's the what's the if i trespassed at target or something what right. would happen to me like a 200 dollar ticket something i would have to come back to the judge he would give me community service and a fine and it would go on my record maybe i mean it would they wouldn't say you were sitting in wait with a gun trying to do a felony right right? trespassing typically isn't a felony no anyway that's a whole sense right (laughs) but i think it ties in i do think i mean we kind of got off track but i do think brad schreiber's book is really instructive for anybody to see how the federal government can get involved in cultural defense and shape them and use things to their own benefit. And one of the points Brad makes out, which is really interesting, is that uh, Sinke, I forgot his real name, but the guy who was the head was African-American, but all of his followers were well-meaning kind of liberals, activists, and they were all white. So all the African-American guys sniffed out. Sinke is like, yeah, there's something wrong with this guy. He just does their innate sense you know, their sixth sense kind of snip, kind of sense that there was something wrong. And there is something wrong with Sinke because one of the first acts that they did was to kill a black school administrator, which is another very strange thing. You got to read the whole book. It's really a brilliant story. And I don't think it's really that covered anymore. And it should really be covered in a parapolitical by parapolitical researchers as a very important kind of benchmark or flat, you know, place where people can kind of get a broader understanding of things that can happen. Yeah. I love it. And I'll definitely check that out and read the book and probably have them on the show because. Yeah. Or O'Neill too. I mean, that's the whole thing about O'Neill too, is the operation chaos part of it, but he, he, he pulled out stuff that was really remarkable. I actually interviewed him before um, he got on Joe Rogan. So I kind of, I beat kind of a much (laughs) bigger podcast as much, but he proved a lot of stuff that they uh, they could actually create a mind control assassin. That, that they're, so their real so their real challenge was to cover it up, was to make sure nobody thought that they could really do it when they could. Oh yeah, I, I mean I I think they're capable of doing a lot of things, you know. Maybe it is this this magic, you know, that Crowley believed in, or maybe it's just energy, you know. You can call magic anything magic that you just don't understand, basically. 
Um, anything that you you can't comprehend could be labeled with magic, and there might be some other some other you know explanation. But you right. know, well, what did these... what did Arthur C. Clarke? What's his third rule? Any action of uh, sufficiently high technology high technology is indistinguishable from magic. It's indistinguishable from magic. Yep. I mean, uh, it's just a weird place where all these people are, are controlling the world. And I think they're just casting these spells. I mean, they, they get on the TVs and stuff and it's called broadcasting. Like broadly right, broadcast, casting spells, broadcast, right. like, you know, and letters grouped together is called spelling. So, you know, and these things matter. Programming, yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. Programming, yeah, programming, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, you know, um, look at intelligence opera. Here's another one: intelligence operation. It's the same word that's used in magic. Yep, we're going to create a magical operation. We're yep. going to do an operation. Well, corporation is corpse oration. The speaking right. dead. Right, it, odd man. You got any any final notes here, man? Like my head is kind of spinning, so we're going to have to have you back on, William. Like this, this Crowley stuff is stuff that I'm just kind of scratching the surface of and, and geez, finding out that, you know, his followers and his, his thumbprint is on everything. It's on a lot of on stuff. A lot, yeah. A lot of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, you can read children of the beast uh, and it goes into all that stuff. Kenneth Anger, who, whose sidekick, who was supposed to play Lucifer in Lucifer rising was Bobby Boussoulet, who was Manson's sidekick. That's one thing that's always <laughs> left out in all those things, right? They always forget the connection. And that's really the presumption and really one of the f- shortcomings of a lot of journalists is that it's not fashionable to talk about the occult when there's so much occultism. That's the real problem. It's not fashionable or not intellectually. It's not an intellectual, in, supposedly intellectually rigorous. And there's a whole other set of reasons for that. But it is interesting that people, I will go over these books by about Manson and they just leave out the whole Boozley anger connection and then anger to um, Jimmy Page and all these other, and Crowley, both collecting Crowley material. And that's just massive part of the culture. You know, it's just off the charts. Um, but, I mean, links I, are, the links are what matter. Right. I, I agree. You know, you, you're not, you're never going to find out the full picture if you don't start connecting dots. I want to get. I mean, yeah, it's bad. So, but I mean, you can go on. I mean, I've written the books about Abomination, which is the West Memphis Three, which the the involvement of Crowley and the occultism goes through the entire case and is usually left out. Um, So that's really what drew me to that true crime thing, and that got me in a lot of grief. So that was interesting. And then I just wrote another book called Global Death Cult. Order of Nine Angles, Adam Waffen and the Slaughter of the Innocents. That came out in May, and I just updated it last week. So I put in another 25. Uh, it's actually interesting things have just happened recently. Like this guy, Daniel Hussein, who was at the Become a Living God um, forum that's run by E.A. Kuetting, who's a Satanist woman at a park and really slaughtered them, stabbed one like 24, 25 times. He made a blood pact with some demon and he wanted to win the lottery. So now he has the name in the UK as the lottery killer. And just yesterday, YouTube took down EA Coetting's YouTube channel with 80,000 subscribers. Wow. So that kind of tied into my book too. And that's really what it is, is this, these ideas are now pervading the earth. It really is popping up all over Russia, 
Nordic countries, UK, US, Canada, places unknown, maybe because I don't speak other languages. Um, but it's really something to watch out for because you get a lot of naive, um, unseasoned young Spurgs or Asperger types, and they seem to really be online often and seem to really like this kind of uh, underground stuff and they get in trouble. And there was killings here in California, two in, in Virginia, Tampa. So I think you're going to hear a lot more of these kind of uh, satanic right wingers and their misdeeds much more um, in the near, near and, and later future. Yeah. Because it's... here's why I know, because when I published my book in May, so much happened in like five months, I had to add another 25, 30 pages. Shit. And they found we're, they, we're on an escalated timeline. Yeah, like, no, something's happening. Yeah, accelerating. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that these groups wanted to accelerate, but they actually just, like I think in August, they exposed one of these occult groups. The lead guy was Tate took 140000 from the FBI as a confidential informant. And so he was he was I, he was a tough guy to know if you were in the right wing community because I think that a lot of his I mean, according to the court documents, a lot of his um, a lot of his statements ended up got a lot of people put in jail. Yeah, and they're trying to put a cap on that stuff. I mean, they're they're scrambling. You know, the, these these global elite occultists. Oh yeah, I think they're just scrambling. Their power is slipping out of their hands, and they're they're just scrambling to try to pick up the pieces of it and hold it together. And it's just, I don't think it's going to last very long and it's all going to come crashing down very, well, as very long as soon. they can control the vote, everything's fine. So we'll see what happens in, uh, in Virginia, what tomorrow or is it three to, on the third, right? So we'll see if they can really rip that boat off. I think that here in California, Newsom definitely, uh, I think they just rigged that whole thing too. Oh, it was of such course a they disgrace. did. Larry Elder should have, should have won. I mean, he was well, such a threat that it they they were having him attacked. Right, he was the black face of white supremacy, right? <laughs> right. right. No, that's really what that's they what said. they called him. Yeah, <laughs> this self-made black man. Yeah, you know that promotes Talk freedom. Shows, yeah, that promotes freedom, just freedom. Well, that's I it. guess that rhetoric works. You can see some of the earlier polls of the Californians and how many people want to recall and how many people didn't. And like two thirds of the, the state said recall, and then it inverted during the election. So why is there that huge discrepancy between it's classic inversion? They and just, it's, I think actually it's it. it's yeah, but I think actually what they're doing, it's a very more much more profound psychological thing. Where is they want you to give up? So they want right. to put it right oh, in your course. face, and then you and I think that's the point of a lot of corporate propaganda. They know they're lying. They know they're pieces of trash, but they just keep doing it because they want to beat you down. The best thing you could do is ignore all of that. You shouldn't even watch any corporate media, Fox, MSNBC. You shouldn't even comment on it. And the reason why is because you're giving them power mm -hmm. and you're promoting their lies like they're something that should be talked to. The people in the corporate media should be treated like a crazy lady who talks to a shampoo bottle and pushes all of her belongings around in a shopping cart. It doesn't matter. You should not give them one iota of power. It's right. total crap. And they're actually, their stuff that they've promoted through Fauci, they, they have literally been involved, in my opinion, mass murder, because there were other solutions to this problem. They promoted a solution that uh, 
doesn't really work that great. And they probably could have used therapeutics from the beginning. So, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think Pfizer just uh, announced $93 billion in profit. So I do think they're doing really 93. well. Yeah, a month ago. 93. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah 93, <laughs> $93 million <laughs> dollars worth billion, of profit. Billion, billion. $93 billion, but billion. still 93. Right. So, I mean, I don't know, man. You got to wonder. It makes you wonder. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I know. It, I, I, I think all three of us know that this is all BS. Um, and it's just these these whack job occult pedophiles that are controlling everything that, you know, and what I keep telling people is at the most innocent, at the very most innocent of all of this, it's just greedy oligarchs hungry for money and power. And that's as innocent as it gets. Are they devil worshiping Satanist occult followers? Who knows? But what I can prove is that they are greedy oligarchs hungry for money. And that's real easy to tell. I think in their special clubs and in their communication, they've realized that they're going to create a new, or they're trying to create a new kind of feudal society, neo-feudalism, and they're trying to divide the spoils. Yes. So who's going to be there right. forever? Because I think it's very important when George Bush said, for ourselves and future generations, right? So he's kind of, he's using a two kind of tiered word or two uh, dual meaning. But I think when he says that, he's saying about his people and their kids will be the ones holding the levers of power forever. Of course. Like, that's really what it is. I, I, I think it is yeah. an ushering so, in of a new feudal system of Yeah, so I think that's it. I mean, go look, I mean, go look at all the facts. Look at the person in debt. Look at the squid game. It's all, it's all that's why it's so important. Because the average person can't get out of debt. And $500 of, of extra charges, I think it's like 40% of the American populace cannot stand that means we failed. We yeah. failed. They're, the propaganda is what's holding you all together yeah. or holding us all together. Yeah, it's and myself included. Myself included. Less so, than 15% of Americans have $1,500 in savings for an emergency. Less than 15%. It's nothing. It's nothing. They've won. The bad guys have already won. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming. I know you, yeah. you're, you're yeah. short on time and you're a busy, busy man. Um, odd man, you got any, any final words? I know you wanted to say something. Oh, no, I was just going to mention there is, we were talking about links. I'll just mention this quickly. I clicked off of it, but there is this organization that's run by, I believe the Rothschilds It's called the Academy of Achievement. And I just happened to run up on one of their uh, websites and I noticed that there are all these prominent people. So you've got Lord Rothschild. I saw, um, General Petraeus. But one of the interesting things is Jimmy Page is there almost every year for the last few years. Wow. We've got wow. uh, Judge Gore, Gorsuch, I believe is his name. Uh, wow. I've seen, uh, I think Sotomayor might have been there this year. Um, but also, you, I've seen pictures of uh, Abramovich, Abramovich with uh, Lord Rothschild. There's one or two pics of them together. I think I've seen that too, in front of like a double painting yes. or something like that. Yeah. So we're talking- so about, She's networked. Yeah, so yeah. we're talking about links and I think that's kind of odd that you've got two Crowley, Crowleyites there in Page and Abramovich with Lord Rothschild. Right, I have a picture in Children of the Beast of a page with Crowley's layman right on the front, right? So it's, it's kind of like circle with the dove into the chalice symbolizing sex magic, right? Mm. The dove is why do get, people right? have to keep ruining my childhood music like this is like three podcasts in a row where i'm like stop 
ruining yeah. the music that I listened to. Yeah, well, Paige killing. actually, do you know, one of the interesting things about Paige is he went back to um, Egypt in, 19, in 2004 to celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the receipt of the Book of the Law. So Holy he was there cow. as like a celebration. Yeah, and you, that's also in my book. You can yeah, see and all Led Zeppelin. I mean, that's a whole. We could fill a whole podcast just right. so on Z- Led Zeppelin. Is a is a symbol of Satan falling from heaven, right? Burning, yep. burning Satan down. So yeah. crazy. Well, William, there. tell everybody where they can find you, what you got going on, and and all of that. You can get my books at WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com. I have five vi- videos, two on the Smiley Face Killers, one. One on two on Crowley, 9-11, and Children of the Beast, and then one called The Cult Hollywood that kind of traces Crowley's influence in Hollywood. So you can find those on Vimeo. My books are on Amazon, my website. And then my podcast is in the top 1.5% of podcasts in the world. It's William Ramsey Investigates. I kind of cover a lot of different subjects, true crime, um, history, and uh then what else is it? My Patreon is William Ramsey Investigates. I've been posting a lot of interesting stuff you would find interesting there. Uh, some of the secret, uh, <laughs> there's there's people around today who are doing commentary who are uh, pretty close to some neo-Nazi stuff. So I posted some stuff there. So I'm still kind of researching, but I'm really focusing on my podcast, kind of getting some information out, some evergreen kind of uh, discussion. So Anyway, awesome. I gotta run, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, me. man. Thanks nice to meet you for coming, man. All right, bye-bye. Cheers. Later. All right. All right, odd man. How about that, dude? Wow. Dude, that I- dude, that, <laughs> my brain is just kind of scrambled. You know, uh NY said that we were gonna have to kind of lead him on, man. And that dude just went. Right. That right. Was beautiful. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to say anything, man, because I was just so in awe. And I was like, well, I'm not going to top him. So I just want to kind of soak this information in, you know? Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that was just a sponge. Just like, yep, give it to me. This is fantastic. Yeah. I love it. And I mean, it, and we blew, just blew through an hour. Oh, yeah. I mean, that went by super fast. So I'm going to have to do part two if you want to join me for part two, because I want to I want to kind of dig into Crowley's links to you know, the Hollywood pedophile ring, and you know, possibly even Operation Mockingbird. Yeah. And yeah. I'd like to talk about the smiley face killers at some point in time, which he's done a lot of work on, you know, that's the good thing about William Ramsey, man. You could probably, we could do anything with that. <laughs> right. That dude's fantastic. <laughs> I, like, how did I not know about this dude until recently? <laughs> like this guy's awesome. I so, know, man. I, you know, it was funny we were talking about, I mean, like it occurred to me that Crowley is kind of like, I guess we could ask NY about this too, but I think just from what I've read and stuff, he's almost like the meeting point that almost all occultists kind of meet at, you know, he, almost all of them like Crowley. And uh, that's pretty amazing because, you know, if there were these big time conspiracies, that would be one huge thing that these powerful magicians would have in common is their love for Crowley and it might be clues that we could see like 9-11 and the numbers and different things like that that would kind of show us that hey there's something else going on here yeah I mean all you got to do is start looking and the the links it's all right there yeah I I mean the numerology the symbolism I mean it all 
just leaves this trail of breadcrumbs that's so easy to follow, yet nobody wants to follow it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like I, uh, my son's got this doctor that I've been button heads with, but it got to the point to where I got con- contacted by the CEO of the hospital that this doctor works for. And so I've been trying to red pill this doctor and I just, he's either full of shit or he's just protecting his wealth by turning a blind eye. Um, but he was, I tried to tell him, I sent him a podcast and some stuff to look into. And he was like, well, this, this says that, you know, everything's being controlled by these devil worshipers. And I was like, I was like, dude, that's just a, you know, that can be just a term for really evil people. And I said, it's not a secret. There's powerful people that are Luciferians and, you know, occult members and, this this isn't this isn't some crazy wild conspiracy theory you know these people are openly freemasons mm-hmm. yeah. you know so it it's not a big stretch that there's evil people doing evil things in power yeah like, it, and it's, it's crazy how naive some really intelligent people can be on on that kind of subject cuz man this has been going on since the dawn of time you know and and people just yep. I don't know, man. It's like they can't allow themselves to think about it because if they do, they know it will probably send them down a path where they won't be able to sleep at night, you know, kind of like <laughs> kind of like me sometimes, you know, but like. Um, it's- well, it also is a it's a pride mechanism, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. pride and ego, because if they admit that they've been fooled, especially when you're a doctor, then you in order to change your mind. You have to choke down some very serious stuff where you have to go, I have been complacent in very, very bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I at, at, at least complacent in it. Mm-hmm. If not, I have been firsthand involved in the harm of people. Mm-hmm. And so for a doctor, that's not somewhere they want to be. So they're just no. going to double down on their stupid crap and just keep continuing to believe they're doing good. Mm-hmm. You know, even even in the face of all of the statistics pointing to the fact that they're not doing any good. You know, I told this doctor, uh, like, dude, you keep saying that you're, you know, you've studied and you've done all this stuff. But what you don't want to acknowledge is that mistakes made by your group is the third leading cause of death. Like, <laughs> you don't want to address right, right. that little thing third leading cause like you make the podium dude you get a bronze medal right <laughs> right you're up there with heart disease bro <laughs> it's the truth man and some people should not be in the medical field just like any other you know industry they, there's people that should not be working in that industry and that's a big deal because they're taking care of people's health and they're sometimes people's lives are on the line and if all they can do is shove medicine in your face on behalf of big pharma that's not helping you that's sometimes it's masking the issue sometimes it's even making things worse in the long run you know for sure i mean the pharmaceutical drugs oxycontin vaccines Mm -hmm. these are all horrible for your system not to mention the foods we eat and just the garbage that is just constantly being pumped into our bodies you know, and then they're spraying us constantly. We've got fluoride in our water system. Like, like we're just, we've got this, this onslaught 
constantly right. by these gross occult assholes that are controlling everything. And, you know, we live these toxic lives and we're surprised everybody's sick and dying. Right. Like, and, and, and what I, you know, to go to the, the occult thing, like maybe this is all just a big sacrifice ritual. You know, be, maybe man. this is just it a mass be. sacrifice ritual to bring on whatever they're trying to bring on or try to stop something that's coming. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, if you're a religious person, if you think Christ is coming, if we're in the end times, maybe this is them trying to stop that, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, what I've been thinking about lately is God cast the fallen into the abyss for a thousand years, right? So he cast them into the abyss for a thousand years. Maybe we're coming up on the end of that. And they're trying to open the abyss to bring all of those fallen out Mm -hmm. into our world. Because, you know, these people want to take humans as hosts because they have been, they have been, you know, their ability to have a body has been taken from them, but they desperately want a body. Right. And so that's when you sell your soul to the devil. Like a lot of songs say, (laughs) you know, and that's how you get power or celebrity or whatever. Yeah. And so that's a whole nother podcast too about that madness, but you know, something crazy is happening. Yeah, definitely, man. You can feel it. You can see it. I mean, it's like, you can see it more and more and you know, it's like, I can take two or three days and just not pay attention to any social media and then I tune back in and it's like, it's even crazier than it was. And it's like, wow, how can, you know, you wonder how regular people can't see that this is not a normal time. This is not. right. <laughs> it has to be a spell. Yeah. It has to be a spell. It, They're just under a spell. Um, You know, I, I, I work you know, by myself most of the time, but every now and again, I get the chance to meet one of my clients. And this morning I had that chance. And this dude was, uh, was a freedom loving guy, man. And I, I got him to listen to my podcast and some of the stuff he said, you know, it's like, all right, man, like there's, there are some people out there that still can think it's not just people like you and me. There's some regular people that work, you know, in the tech industry and they get it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just not as vocal as us. So, right, right. you know, maybe the silent minority is about to not be the silent minority anymore. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, that would be fantastic, you know, man. I think that, I, I think you're right. There's a lot of people out there that just need a little bit of a push or or maybe they just need to hear some of these ideas that maybe they've already thought about and never heard anybody else talk about. And if they just hear your show or my show or NY's show or somebody else's show, it's like, I can identify with that, you know, and I know, yep. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And there's certain things. We just drop these breadcrumbs. These things should make you start to scratch your head a little bit and go, huh, right. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, you know, I think I'm coming across more people that are like that, that are kind of questioning what's going on and saying this stuff doesn't make sense. I'm coming across less and less people that are just die hard into the narrative. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it depends on where you go too. Sure. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm in Austin basically and man, masks are still really prevalent here, mm. which is crazy. Um, 
and I'm just you know every now and again I'll walk in somewhere and I'll see somebody like oh cool and they take <laughs> their mask off and it's just like dude just uh, what why are you waiting for me to do it right just right. don't wear one yeah like, I know, man. Well, they're it's... not mandatory. Like, just wear, <laughs> just just go without one. It feels wonderful. I mean, even when they were, yeah, even when they were mandatory, I wasn't wearing one. Right, exactly. You can tell me to leave if you want. Right, but I'm literally never going to come back. Yeah, <laughs> like you're not getting any of my money ever. Uh, but anyway, brother, I'm going to get back to the family. Yeah, man. Uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, just uh, probably the best place is underscore the odd man out on Twitter or Instagram. And I've actually been more active on Gab, believe it or not, because Twitter's just, I don't know, man, I, I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> and, and Gab is full of like a lot of Trumpers first, but there's I'm noticing there's a change happening on there where people are really starting to kind of see through things. So I'm hoping that that might be a decent outlet for people like us in the future because it's you know before it was just nothing but trump lovers yeah i have to check out gab um and man the trump lovers they there there's two there's two factions in the trump lover world is the people that are starting to get mad that trump didn't become the dude that they thought he was and it's the people that are still like man he's gonna take back over in 2024 right right you know then he's really gonna start cracking heads and i'm just like god you your your faction of the trump lovers y'all are dumber than liberals y'all are y'all are worse than damn liberals because you're still just licking the boots yeah like like, good god how how do you still trust this dude at this point in time (laughs) like we're where we are now because of trump right right if that's what i tell people man i'm like if, if we hadn't had a Trump, we wouldn't have a Biden in this situation that we have right now. You couldn't have had one yep. without the other. It's like symbiotic relationship there. Yeah, we're weird how that happens, how each president plays off the last one. Right. You know, or, or each president sets up the next one. Yes. yes. You know, that's what it is. It's like, okay, let me let me reshuffle <laughs> the deck for you. Let me pull all the aces where they're going to get into your hands and, you know. Like, and nobody realizes it. I mean, Biden would never have been able to do anything without the executive, without the state of emergency, without mm-hmm. Operation Warp Speed, you yeah. know, without all of this stuff that Trump did, Biden would, wouldn't would have been able to do what he's doing. No, no. And I saw that uh, at least, I think it was that, whatever that guy's name is that runs Gab, Andrew Torba or something like that. Anyway, he posted the other day that whatever Trump's new social media site is, I guess it launched this week or last week, he's actually banning Gab links and other conservative links on that platform. And he's using the Google servers for his social media. So, Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, like, as soon as I heard he was coming out with his own platform, I was just like, if you don't realize this is a, a limited hangout psyop, you, you get what you get. You, you get what you deserve. You're, stu- yeah. you're too stupid. Yeah, yeah. Like, you're officially too dumb. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't mind jumping on there just to troll the shit out of people. But, right. You know, like, I, what's the point? Yeah, and I, I can, you know, like, even before he got kicked off of Twitter, I was like, why doesn't he go to one of these other sites that's more conservative, right-leaning, and he can take thousands of people with him and then actually create real competition for Twitter? But no... He didn't want to do that, so. Of course not. <laughs> Can't mess with his pals at Twitter. Right. You know, 
oh, twi- you know, the whole idea that he, you know, is upset that he's not on Twitter. It's, it's all a show. <laughs> this is all a show. But on that note, man, thank you for coming along for this ride with William Ramsey, man. And uh, I'm going to email him either tonight or tomorrow and let him know we got to do part two. Uh, and you're going to have to join us for that one, too. Man. This stuff's fun. I like to just consume it. Awesome, man. So, I loved it. Thank you for inviting me. Thank yeah, you, brother. of course, brother. Anytime, man. Enjoy the rest of your night, man. We'll talk again soon. Okay, dude. See you later, man. All right, brother. Later. All right. That was my show with William Ramsey and Bodman. Boy, was that, that was a lot to, to take in. And I kind of need to go back and listen to it again. That was, that was good stuff. He just went off and, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to jump in. I didn't want to interrupt him too much. And uh, I kind of had a way that I wanted the show to go. But, man, if someone with that grade of knowledge just starts going, you just got to let them go. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm going to keep digging into this rabbit hole with Crowley and the connections to everything. Because it's, it's pretty insane. And uh, I'm going to have him on again. Uh, definitely I'm going to have him on again. I'm also going to read this uh, Revolution's End book by Brad, Brad Schreiber, I think he said. That sounds interesting, so I'm going to have to have that guy on too. Uh, but you guys check out all of William Ramsey's works. You know, his podcast is badass. I listen to it a lot now. And uh, yeah, just seek truth. Keep diving down rabbit holes and finding out the links because that's, that's how we get to the end of this is by connecting all the dots for everybody that don't want to connect all the dots but if we got all the information and all the links it's going to be hard for them to avoid so for now you guys keep your chin up stuff's going to get crazy but the good news is is the system is crashing they they're not going to be able to hold this shit together so keep fighting and live free guys we'll see you next time